Hello, friends. You're listening to episode 83 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and I will be joined by my excellent co-host, Mike Thomas, later in this episode. But in full disclosure, we had a little bit of recording chaos early on in this in our recording session. But I'm happy to say through the magic of editing and perseverance, I am able to get his excellent takes on each of our highlights still recorded into this episode. It's a good thing we don't do these live, right? (laughs) Well, um, this issue, 83, has been curated by Colin Fay, one of our favorite authors of all things shiny, in particular the Golem package. And apparently he's been rocking out at a concert recently. But my thanks to Colin, and he had a great help, as usual, from our R-Wiki team members and contributors like you around the world. Speaking of the world and community, um, it is definitely an exciting summer already for the R community. As we record this, the Use R conference is underway, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot more coverage about that and some of the great insights generated there in our upcoming R Weekly podcast and issues. But in just over a month, our StudioConf is taking place as a hybrid event later in July with both the in-person gathering happening near Washington, D.C., as well as a virtual setup for the conference talks as well. And what I have seen, I've been very fortunate to be attending our StudioConf since the very beginning, and it has always been a very high-quality Uh, presentations and workshops, and this year's edition is certainly no exception to that. The conference schedule was released a few days ago on the RStudio blog, and so this is our first glance at the different kind of talks that we can expect to see, and with the previously announced workshops as well. So I've been exploring this little schedule, um, which has, uh, frankly, a much better user experience um, working with this version of the schedule than it had in previous days or previous years. So kudos to the RStudio team for making that a little more pleasant experience. And I've definitely have seen some talks that have piqued my interest that I'm going to be checking out, hopefully as, as I run between the different tracks on site. Um, there's a little bit of traction in terms of using R in embedded devices, such as using R in robotics and also on the Raspberry Pi. So some great talks I'm seeing from Ian Mercuri and Eric Wanju and Mark Sellers around those topics, as well as some great fun with ggplot2. I'm really excited to see June Cho's talk on cracking open the ggplot internals or ggtrace. And a really big development in terms of kind of the internals or the object-oriented nature of R itself. Hadley Wickham is going to be introducing what's called the R7 package, which looks to be like a next generation of things like R6. Um, But there's a lot of kind of metadata behind the scenes on some R consortium initiatives and some really exciting developments on that front. And of course, I love my stuff, my stuff with Shiny. So um, there's some great talks about Shiny at the conference. One of them is building full-fledged multilingual shiny apps and when i say multilingual i'm talking about language speaking like english and others um nicola rene is going to have a great talk about that now that's just a sampling of some of the exciting talks that we're seeing here 
but it is shaping up to be an exciting event and I can't wait, can't wait to, to be there. And yeah, I'm doing a little workshop too, I guess. So <laughs> it's a lot going on. Uh, but Mike, what, what's ca caught your eye about what you're seeing on that program there? Well, Eric's being uh, a little uh, a little uh, naive there when he says that he has a little workshop because his engineering production shiny apps, I think it's building production grade shiny apps, right, is the name of the workshop that you're teaching, literally kicks off the conference. Our studio decided that this is the workshop that they want to set the tone for the entire conference uh, this coming summer. So I think it's a little bit bigger deal than what you're letting on. But what really stood out to me um, in this blog post and the schedule that got released is just the diversity of the content. There, there's really something for everyone. I, I mean, on the same day, there's an introduction to uh, our package development. There is a workshop on making art with R. There is an R for people analytics, which I assume is like analysis for human resources. Um, so that side of, of the business. And then there's machine learning with tidy models. I mean, all of this stuff is going on kind of side by side on the, on the same day. So there is absolutely something for everyone. It's great to see that with this conference website, uh, attendees have the ability to go on and build their own schedule. That's always one of my favorite things to do when getting ready for a conference is take that time to build my personal schedule, try to optimize it as best as possible so that I can squeeze in to as many different workshops and lectures as I possibly can. Um, it looks like our studio is making this pretty easy for us to do via the website. So I don't have to put together some uh, gross complex spreadsheet. So that's awesome. And I, I know everyone is really excited to just have this conference uh, again after missing out last year. The only thing I, I'm a little upset about is that I just started getting fairly comfortable with our six classes and You've got to be kidding me, Hadley, that now I have to uh, understand our seven classes. This is coming out. I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's going to be a huge improvement for object-oriented programming in R and bringing that into our, our Shiny app. So uh, excited to see what's coming down the pike at this conference. Yep. Um, I've, I've heard I have a colleague at work that's been kind of involved peripherally in some of that. So I know it's been in the works for a long time, but... I think there are going to be a lot of things that have been in the works for a while that are going to be announced at the conference. Um, rumors I'm hearing some really big stuff and some of our favorite areas and shiny and other frameworks are going to be announced. Well, we'll see about that again, just rumors at this point, you didn't hear it from me, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot happening here. As you said, Mike, there's a lot of diversity in the, in the topics here and there's something for everybody. Um, for sure. And I know there's going to be cases where there's probably going to be overlap in the, in the same time slot of different talks. So, um, hopefully we'll be able to get the recordings like usual afterwards, but I'm also certainly excited to connect with, um, previous, um, you know, collaborators and friends from, from R and the open source communities and some of the newer ones that I've met, you know, kind of virtually since the pandemic started. And there'll be a few of them over coming to the conference. Uh, some of my favorite uh, streamer friends, well, I'm called the streamer group. There will be a, a few friends from there. So shout out to Daniel Chen, Tan Ho and, and others, and maybe Jesse will be there. I'm not sure, but we're going to, we're going to definitely hopefully meet up at some point to talk about awesome streaming stuff, but there's, there's, there's going to be a whole lot going on and yeah, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of coverage about that, um, in, in the coming issues after that. And, 
And yes, um, kudos to alphabetical ordering. Yes, my workshop is the first in the program because I picked the right name. And it was building production grade versus building tidy tools. So there's my one up on Max Kuhn. Ha ha. Please don't, please don't, uh, don't, don't hurt me, Max. If you see me, no, I'm. It's gonna be. It, it's it's a great program. I mean, and I I even mentioned to Mike and others that if I wasn't teaching a workshop, there there's like two or three workshops alone that I would want to attend. There, there's just immense quality there, um, very much so. So I'm really excited for it. Still got a little over a month to go, and hopefully things are still normal, and we're able to have a great event but all signs are looking good so yeah we will definitely be reporting back some of the great insights generated from there switching gears for our next highlight a lot of times for either ourselves or for our collaborators or members of the community we're often found find ourselves at a decision point on how we can make certain, say, data processes for ingesting data or serving up services much easier to perhaps even ourselves, but also to our collaborators. And in our next highlight, Mike's going to take us through another you know, situation where that rings true in the concept of API development. So what, what do we have on tap here, Mike? Sure. Second blog titled, Why You Should or Shouldn't build an API client. And this is another great blog post out of the R OpenSci community and the brilliant minds of Mael Salmon, uh, Matthias Greeny, and, and Hugo Grusin. For those who don't know, APIs are the language agnostic way that computers talk to each other, essentially. They stand for application programming interface. There are tons of APIs out there, both open to the public, uh, semi-open, or completely proprietary. And when you come across an API that you find useful, you know maybe it's for retrieving data from some service or for sending and receiving files or even scoring unlabeled data against an API-hosted predictive model that we can do nowadays with things like Plumber. Um, it can be really, really tempting to consider creating an R package around that API to make it easier for end users to interact with the API itself. Um, it, there's a million examples out there. One example I will give is the a package that I use all the time uh, in agriculture economics, uh, the Tidy USDA package, uh, Tidy US Department of Agriculture package, which retrieves data from the USDA's database, um, essentially just by compiling simple R function inputs into this get request string. Um, so that the average user doesn't have to worry about building that get API request themselves. And typically this is done under the hood with the help of the HTTR or curl R packages. And the blog post walks us through some of the arguments for creating an R package that wraps an API. Uh, some of the arguments for are abstracting some of the tricky authentication parameters away from the R user. Um, that, that's a big one mentioned in this blog post, so that instead of having to, to build these things in JSON or something like that, you can just enter them as arguments into your R function. Um, another argument for building an R package around an API is to handle that API's response gracefully. So whether it be parsing out the error that the API returned because you submitted something incorrectly to make it clear to the user in their console where they went wrong, or maybe even converting data that the API sent back as JSON 
into like a neat data frame before it hits the user's environment. Um, this can be a big advantage as well. I know RTweet is another example of an, an API wrapped R package where you can retrieve your Twitter data uh, about tweets that, that you or somebody else has posted online. Some arguments against creating an R package that the blog post highlights uh, for wrapping an API really revolve around maintenance, I think, um, and the fact that the API host could change that API at any time. Um, the parameters might might change, all sorts of things that could, the authentication process could change, all sorts of things could change. And you, as the maintainer of this R package, will have to adapt your package code to handle those changes, which those changes would likely break uh, your, your package. So if your API is publicly successful as well and, and goes viral, if you will, you know, you'll have to invest time into maintaining it, especially. So I think this probably goes not just with API wrapper R packages, but with any open sourced R package that, that um, catches a lot of traction that you would ever want to develop. Um, but it's always good to stop and consider this point uh, of, you know, hey, if I'm going to build this and I am going to build, put this out there to the public, um, am I going to be able to maintain it? Can I set up some sort of controls or infrastructure around myself, whether that be people, processes, whatnot, to ensure that we can maintain the, the longevity of uh, your, your R package or that project. Yeah, I, I was a lot of great, you know, nuggets of wisdom. I'm sure spoken from experience from Mal and the others on, on this post. And a lot of these issues come down to setting expectations that are reasonable to yourself and also for your intended purpose of this. Sometimes even for things I do at, at day job where I'm building something that I feel is just mostly for myself. It's just, I got tired of a certain process and I want to automate certain pieces of it. Or I got so tired of embedding these cryptic credentials in this AWS call. I just add at it, just make a simpler thing out of it. Sometimes I've been guilty of not realizing that, oh my gosh, there might be others on my team or even in the general data science group that I'm a part of that want to use it then I start to retrofit certain things that make that more robust, such as documentation, and also making sure I'm more in tune with the upstream process or service that I'm ingesting. I think it's really having that conversation, even with yourself up front, to know what you're getting into, and maybe that prods you to do a little more upfront to make the life of that package easier to maintain, setting up automation checks in maybe your GitHub repo or other means to make it so there's not as many manual steps involved to do a point release or do a bug fix or things like that. This is all stuff that I have not mastered yet. There, I'm still kind of bad at predicting what the end goal of it sometimes will be. I'm getting a little better with Shiny apps, but they're even just general purpose things. I'm still learning just like everyone else, but I think Miles' blog post here from our open side is, is definitely a great step of wisdom for almost any situation where you're wrapping on another service or process and kind of the, you know, the, the factors that go into your life as a package developer and maintainer going forward. And for our last highlight today, we're going to take a little visit to one of Mike's and I's favorite areas of shiny development. And I can tell you a little story as we frame this, but when I was first developing shiny apps at the day job, 
a pretty common thought that entered my mind as I was beginning to deploy Shiny S for others to use is that, oh my gosh, what an achievement. I got the app online and now I can move on to the next thing. Oh, did I learn quickly? There's much more to the life of an application than just that initial throwing over the fence to your favorite deployment platform. Lots of questions come up, maybe by from you or from your users, such as, is the app being used as intended? Does anyone experience and say sluggish performance when using it? What parts of the app are being used more often that I should maybe concentrate on making better? Those are just a few of the many questions, again, we may ask ourselves or users will bring to us. Now, of course, one approach is that you find a group of devoted users that are willing to give you that feedback on a regular basis. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a, there's a great place for having that kind of that targeted user base that you can consult with from time to time. But in addition to that, we're in the year 2022. What are some ways that we can maybe automate how we can learn usage patterns and metrics around our applications? Now, of course, one component is collecting regular metrics of app usage. And there are some great tools in place for a Shiny developer to handle that on various deployment platforms and within an app itself, such as RStudio Connect or some of the other Shiny hosting options. But we can also tap into other services and tools aimed at obtaining user usage patterns and metrics across the entire web application development spectrum. And so Dario Rodicic, I'm probably not saying that right, apologies in advance, uh, from Absalon, who recently ran, into, ran that very exciting Shiny conference a couple of months ago, he has authored a blog post on how Shiny developers can make use of an external tool called Hotjar to accomplish these kind of tasks. Hotjar is an external service, so this is not exclusive to R or Shiny or anything like that, but it's, again, another simpler way that akin to something like Google Analytics, you can generate a snippet that your application can your application source code can take in so you start to collect these additional metrics into the Hotjar platform. That's just a high level where it's going. But Mike, why don't you tell us what you what you saw about this post with Hotjar and Shiny? Sure. And Absalon, as always, pushing out a lot of great Shiny related content, which we love to see. And and you're right, Hotjar is a third-party service that provides you know with you with usage analytics for your Shiny apps, which is really cool. They have a free tier, but uh, which you could use to get started with. But of course, you can pay up to get more insights and benefits. Um, and like you said, it looks like you connect your deployed Shiny app to Hotjar, and then Hotjar for you um, provides a little bit of JavaScript code that you can literally copy and paste right into your Shiny app's UI code and then redeploy. And once that's done, you can log into the Hotjar platform and see some really nice heat maps of where users are interacting with your app, like what parts of the screen, what widgets, that type of thing. And you can even see, I think if you pay enough, <laughs> recordings of users interacting with your app. Um, so if you want to shell out a few bucks for, for the paid tier, that would be a really cool feature to actually watch other people uh, view your app. I don't know, maybe you should probably provide them with a little disclaimer <laughs> within your Shiny app saying, we're watching you. But uh, need <laughs> needless to say, pretty cool for those of us who are admins on the other side and care a lot about 
user experience to have this nice additional tool in our arsenal for, for really bringing solid UX practices into our Shiny development process. Um, the blog post itself didn't actually show us any of those those nice heat maps that they talked about, but I'm excited to do a little little bit more digging maybe, and we can uh, if we can find some, put in the show notes some of those nice heat maps that Hotjar gives us. Yeah, these are, again, great wins that you can have in certain situations where you're maybe you're, you're earlier in your efforts of developing a larger scale app that you get either leadership or others in your group wanting to figure out, okay, well, what's the uptake of this? Or what, what are some areas that maybe we're seeing some users spending more time on that maybe they're struggling with, or maybe other areas that are performing Johnny on the spot, you know, very quick and everybody's happy about it. So little things like this do go a long way to aid you on that journey. Of course, as somebody that's working in a highly regulated industry, you've got to have you know, obviously approval, the bank put something like this in for, say, a confidential situation. So, of course, we are not offering advice on anything like that. You have to consult your teams and organizations on that sort of thing. But again, for the right use case, I think this is a an excellent way to tap into some really nice functionality with what looks to be pretty minimal effort. And yeah, I'm sure I may give this a spin in some of my you know, smaller scale projects and see how it shapes up. But I do a um, little teaser for what we talked about earlier in the show, but there is one aspect of my workshop coming up where I'm going to talk about issues like this, because when you build production grade apps, as I said, it's not just about throwing it over the wall. You're never completely done, but, you know, having that perspective will help you immensely in your journey to making this more routine and certainly metric observations or grabbing metrics and grabbing usage patterns is a big part of that process. So it's great to see awareness being spread on that from the fine folks at Absalon, who again, had a fantastic job of running the Shining Conference a couple of months ago. Speaking of fantastic, we got awesome, awesome, uh, great content here in the current Our Weekly Issue. One of the other, couple of other little nuggets that caught my eye Garrick Aiden Bowie has authored the Clean RMD package, which is a really nice and pristine package to give you additional HTML styles for your R Markdown reports that are HTML based. And in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead live on the edge. I'm gonna use it on a new project as we speak um, at work to get a little clean formatting to report on making. And then this is something I want to follow up on, but. Taking advantage of the DuckDuckGo API for what's called creating an instant answer oracle with HTTR, which we heard about in our previous highlight, and Shiny, um, authored by Benjamin Smith. So I'm going to be checking that out a bit. Uh, Mike, what, what caught your eye uh, other in this issue? So one of our, our weekly curators, I think Ryo Nakagawara himself, put out an incredible uh, blog post on a J League soccer. I think that's the Japanese uh, soccer league, a 2022 midseason review. I'm a big soccer fan myself and a washed up soccer player. So <laughs> this one spoke to me um, quite a bit. And some of the visualizations that he has um, are, I think, ggplot charts that literally look like a soccer field. So really cool, again, for, for just showing you know what we can do with Viz in R. And I definitely encourage folks to, to check out that blog post. 
Yeah, real. Oh, every year it seems like that I see these write-ups and these summaries of the seasons. I'm just amazed at, you know, the the attention, the detail, the visualization prowess that he possesses. And I still have a very fond memory of meeting him with a couple of our other curators, uh, Colin and, and John Carroll at the last in-person Art Studio Cobb. So <laughs> I don't know if he'll be there this year, but I still have fond memories of that, of that experience. And Certainly, all of us on the Art Weekly team are so appreciative of all of you contributing any links that you find interesting related to the art community, novel uses of R, and you are just a pull request away from getting those resources into our current or an upcoming issues. And we are also making more efforts to make it easier to become a curator for the project. But you can find all those t details at rweekly.org head to the GitHub page and we'll have complete instructions on the process of becoming a curator. And Mike, I know you're a busy man, but where can people find you and your adventures online? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Awesome sauce. I am at the R pod or the R cast. I wanted our podcast for my Twitter account, but they wouldn't let me. So, you know, them's the breaks of having multiple domains, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what what can you do? But yes, um, I'm always on there uh, tweeting some random stuff sometimes. Also tweeting maybe little teasers about some of my shiny material coming up that you'll be seeing in a month or so. So that'll do it for us. We're going to put the bow on episode 83. Always an adventure, but always a fun adventure. But we will be back with another edition of our weekly highlights next week. <laughs>